You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. So what were y'all doing on the night of May 5th this past spring? I can tell you exactly what I was doing. I was sitting in front of a TV, watching the Spurs and the Clippers play in an epic Game 7 in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I was with my family screaming, sometimes in delight, like when Kawhi was throwing down dunks, and other times in absolute horror, like when Chris Paul hit that game-winning shot over Tim Duncan somehow, some way. After the game was done, I just kind of sat there in silence. I mean, this was the year, right? This was the year the Spurs were finally going to repeat as champions. Timmy was supposed to be going out on a high note. He was going to retire after he won his second straight championship, the only thing he hadn't done for his entire career. That was going to be it, right? That's what I expected. This was supposed to be the year. I'm sure a lot of you in here and a lot of people in the city of San Antonio felt that exact same way, especially the guys in the front office of the Spurs. They probably expected something similar like that too. Well, after it was all over, they understood that they were going to need some new blood, that they were going to need some new guys to come into the organization to make that championship push once again. You see, this was the first time in two decades that the Spurs had enough cap space to go after some of the top free agents in the market. So when the free agency period started, the Spurs landed the big fish, LaMarcus Aldridge. They got him the most coveted free agent on the market at $84 million over four years. Shortly after that, David West signed with the Spurs for the league's veteran minimum at one year and $1.4 million. Now, if I would have known that that's what the league minimum is for, for playing in the NBA, I would have practiced basketball a lot better and a lot harder and maybe figured out a way to grow like eight more inches. So the Spurs also took care of two of their young budding stars in Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Kawhi signed a deal that's considered a max deal at five years and $90 million. Danny Green signed for four years and $40 million. Then the Spurs re-signed some of their old grizzled veterans in Manu Ginobili. He signed for two years and $5.8 million. And then, of course, Tim Duncan signed for two years and $10.4 million. Now, as you guys can see, this is a lot of money. All of this money is probably more than most of us will ever understand. But when you look a little bit deeper, you'll see that each one of these six players left money on the table to be a part of the Spurs organization. You see, if Aldridge would have stayed with his original team in Portland, he would have made $116 million. And David West opted out of an $11 million contract with the Indiana Pacers. And kind of in a complicated method, Kawhi could have signed a one-year deal, then re-signed for his maximum deal next year when the salary cap got way bigger and he would have made $120 million instead of the 90. Or you could look at uh, what Danny Green could have made as opposed to what some of the comparable players who had matching outputs that he did on the court. He could have signed for something like $55 million. Then you look at Manu Ginobili, he could have signed for something around $10 million. And Tim Duncan conservatively could have signed somewhere else for about $20 million. So when you add all this together, you look and you see how much these six guys gave up to be a part of the Spurs organization. It ends up being $107 million. 
is what they gave up, what they left on the table just to be a part of the Spurs. Now, why would anybody do that? Really, what I'm sure some of you guys are thinking before that is going, well, they're millionaires. I mean, they got a lot of money. What's another couple million dollars? It's, it's whatever. Well, let me respond to you guys like this. It's still $107 million. Even to millionaires, that's a lot of money. So why would someone that's wired to win, to dominate like these athletes are, that have ruthless agents that just want to attack and get the most for their, for their clients, why would they do this? I mean, by taking that extra money, they could have basically paid for another generation in their family to live. Why give it back? Well, what about in this room? How many of us would be willing to give millions of dollars back to the organization that we work for? Forget millions. How many of us would be willing to give like hundreds of dollars back to the organization that we work for now? Or how many of us are looking to scrap and scra scratch for every single dime and nickel that they're willing to give us? Or what about in our personal lives? Which ones of us are lending out money or tools or our car to people or family members when they need it? Or are you the type where the conversation kind of starts and you can see where it's going, so you have to like answer a phone call real quick before they can ask you, before they can hit you up with what you know they're going to ask you about? I guess the question that I'm really looking to ask here is, who in here is willing to sacrifice their comfort or their family's comfort for somebody else. Now, when you look at biblical examples, they are very clear with how groups interacted. We're calling them tribes. You see, in the book of Acts, Jesus had just ascended into heaven and left the apostles that followed him to go and spread the gospel. The same message that Noel was talking about earlier on, spread that simple gospel. So the first time out, Peter goes out in front of a big group. He shares the gospel. And that day, 3,000 people are baptized. That day. They want to join that tribe. They want to be a part of the, that group of people that will encourage them in their walk with God. So not long after that, they have another sermon. Go up, give the simple gospel, spread Jesus' word. 2,000 people are baptized that day. They want to be a part of this Christian tribe that they were explaining to them. So in Acts chapter 4, it has a great breakdown of what their lives look like and how they interacted with each other. It says here in verse 32, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now imagine that. A community of all believers that were all united in heart and in mind about what their purpose in the world was. You see, that's what we're striving for here. Now nobody's going to ask you to sell your house or your cars or anything like that, because even there in the tribe in Acts, it wasn't an obligation. They didn't have to do this to be a part of the group. They just felt like they should do it. They felt like if to be a part of something greater, that they were going to have to do these things. They wanted to be a part of something that was going to change the world someday. 
And we want to get to a place here at City Church downtown where people that show up don't have needs. Because what happens is when they do have a need, we have three or four or five people that are willing to help them out, that are willing to sacrificially give to them. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to say that what I'm talking about is not communism, okay? It's not anything like that. This is a Christian tribe. So in communism, what it's going to say is, I'm going to take yours and disperse it out how I please. Whereas in the Christian tribe, it's ours, and we're willingly sharing it with people. So there's a big difference. So here are some ways for you guys, if you're looking to practically kind of get into that giving mood and, and really start sharing and giving to your tribe, here are a couple ways that you guys can start. So if you're part of one of our church-organized tribes like H2O or Peeling the Onion or uh, City Youth or, or any of those things that we have going on now, what I would say is this. Go ahead and offer to bring a snack or some refreshments or something like that because remember we talked about it last week, tribes eat together, right? Or if you're in an organic tribe, out in the world just kind of doing your own thing, look at each and every person in your tribe Figure out what one person's need is and do your best to provide for that one person. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Man, well, if, what if I start giving to people and nobody gives anything back to me and I'm just like some sucker handing stuff out and, you know, I'm the only one? Or if I do hand stuff out, what if nobody even realizes I'm doing it? What if they don't recognize me? Well, see, our giving can change how others start to give within our tribes. You see, in the book Give and Take, author and social scientist Adam Grant explains that there are three kinds of people in the world within every group. There's the givers, who want to give more than they take. There's the takers, who are always looking to take more than they give. And then there's the matchers. What they want to do is they're going to give if being given to and take if being taken from. They're kind of the the medium balance there. They want to make sure that there's balance within their relationships with people. So in that book, he talks about what happens when you get into a book, or when you get into a tribe, excuse me. He says, if a group develops a norm for giving, members will uphold the norm and give, even if they are more inclined to be takers or matchers elsewhere. So if you give in your tribe, you'll give to one person. Well, that one person is going to see that you gave and then they're going to give. And then another person will see that, and then they'll give too. Well, then all of a sudden, a lot of the people in the group are giving, and even the takers are sitting over here going, well, i got to give something because I want to still be a part of this group. It's like peer pressure for good things, right? <laughs> so let's get back to where we started with it, with the Spurs. You see, back in 1997, when Tim Duncan was drafted, there was a pretty good big man on the team already by the name of David Robinson, who was well on his way to the Hall of Fame at that point. And it would have been really easy for David to go and uh, pout and stomp his feet and say, well, I'm the man around here, so we're going to continue to do it my way, and that's it. And people probably would have understood it, because he earned to do something like that. But what he did was the exact opposite. He took Tim under his wing, he helped cultivate his game, and he probably ended up pushing him to be greater than he ever was. Not only that, later on in his career, 
Robinson had the chance to sign a final contract before he got out. He could have milked it for every single dollar that he could have gotten out of it, and the Spurs would have given it to him. But he didn't. Instead, he decided to take less money. He decided to sacrificially give to his tribe. And what ended up happening was the team was able to get more players at a higher talent level, and David Robinson ended his career as a champion for the second time. Now see, it's 12 years later after he's retired, and what the Spurs players are doing, what that tribe is still doing, is being informed by what David did over 12 years ago. He's actually still just as popular in the stands as he ever was in the locker room. He helped change a culture by being the first one to step out and give. Now, based off of that example, and the example in Acts, and that example from Give and Take, I feel like I want to present, I'm ready to present the big idea for today, which is we're better together when we sacrificially give to one another. So we're in, right? We're all ready to give to one another and watch it snowball until it's just out of control here in this part of downtown and everybody's generous and giving stuff. It's just awesome. We're excited for that, right? But there's something even more valuable that we can give to one another, that we can give to the kingdom of God. And Romans 12 says it like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I know giving your bodies is kind of like a very broad way to to kind of think of, of this. So in just a few verses later, he has some very practical ways for you to help with the the kingdom of God. And just know that this isn't an exhaustive list. It's not everything. It's just a handful of examples that you guys can use to kind of jump off of. Uh, In Romans 12, 6, it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. And if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, each and every one of us, much like Liam Neeson in the movie Taken, has a very particular set of skills. Some of these skills we've acquired over a career or a lifetime, and some of them are just God-given skills that we have. Either way, these skills that we have, can do, we can do things with them to change the world. Now, our little tribe, City Church Downtown, has the ability to change things for people in our neighborhood. We have the ability to change things in our city. And maybe someday our collective skills can change things nationally and internationally. 
We're better together when we sacrificially give to one another. So here's one of the things I've been thinking about lately. Uh, it's kind of been rattling around my head. It's the idea of the dash. Um, don't worry, there's no running involved. Uh, so when somebody historic, you go and you look them up and on Wikipedia or uh, for others of you in an encyclopedia, it was this book where they had information in it and you would look it up. <laughs> they would show you know, a, a guy's name and then beneath it they would have two numbers which signified the year that they were born and the year that they died. Well, in between those two numbers is a dash. And that dash is a representation of what they did while they were here on earth, while they lived. You see, some people have done great things with their dash. They understood exactly what their purpose was. They understood exactly what their particular set of skills was. And they made sure to leverage that in the best way possible to help change the world. So some of you out there are nodding your heads along with me. You're like, yeah, exactly. I know what my dash is. I am in the middle of it. I am doing it. I am knocking it out. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to lean into it and continue to leverage your skills in the best way possible and continue to sacrificially give yourself up in that way. Now, others of us, we have, uh, we don't know. We don't know what our skills are yet. We're just kind of like trying to figure things out. Or you might be a person who knows what skills they have, but you don't know where to apply them yet. But what I do want every single person to know that's in here and watching online and sitting next door in the cafe is that all of you has a particular set of skills for the kingdom of God. You just got to find it. Now, here at City Church downtown, we have a couple of ways where we can engage you guys in some stuff, and you can try it out and see either if those skills will fit in our stuff, or you can figure out what your skills are. So first off, I'm going to start with our live production team. They're the guys that sit there in the back that are excited and making noise when they're not supposed to. <laughs> You guys are spoiled. I'm talking about you from stage. Never again. Um, so anyways, what they do is they're in charge of making everything look good that happens on the stage, whether it's on our screens, with the lighting, or with the sound during worship or right now. So that's what they're in charge of. Or we also have our welcome and cafe team. They're basically in charge of helping you guys out. That's basically our customer service team. Now what they do is they'll help you to your seats, or they'll give you some coffee next door in the cafe or some pastries, or they're the ones that are helping you find a parking space out in the parking lot. They're here to make sure that you have a great experience on our campus. Or we also have our Kids City team, which meets next door. Now, what they do is present the gospel to our kids every single week. They help shape the future of our church, the future of our city, right next door. So if any of these kind of perk some interest in you, I want to encourage you guys to go to the back and get signed up. And you know what? What you can do is you can go and sign up for something, and if you find out that your skill set doesn't necessarily match with it, it's okay. You can move to something else. Or if you're just like, hey man, I've got all this ability, but Sunday, I, I got to do more. Like a couple hours on a Sunday is, is, isn't enough for me. Well, then what you can do and what I would suggest you do is go out and do it. 
Don't be confined to the couple of roles that we have here on a Sunday. Go out there, and not only that, be a tribal catalyst about it. Bring other people on that you know, and you guys all serve and work to help change this world. So what I ask for you to do is this, no matter what you're doing. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, for some people, when you're part of a tribe, it's easy to give. You know, with your family and your friends and your coworkers, you're the first one to give stuff up. You're the first one to jump to help them. You're the first one in to help out. So for you guys, that's the easy part. But there's a second part to sacrificial giving that goes overlooked sometimes, but is very important. It's the receiving end. It's being able to receive somebody's sacrifice. Now, some of you out there are like me. You have this idea in your head that you're independent, you don't need anybody's help, you can do everything on your own, get out of my way, right? Sometimes you can even be offended that somebody's offering you help. What do you mean I need, what do you mean you want to help me? You think I'm dumb? Like, I know how to figure this out. My life is taken care of. You don't have to come over here and give me your charity. I got this. Now, we all know that's not a great way to, to act, but that's kind of how we are. So to this day, I still have trouble accepting sacrificial gifts from other people. But I've come a long way from where I used to be. And I can credit a lot of that, probably all of it, uh, to a lady that I met while I was in college. Uh, you see, one day while I was grabbing lunch at uh, UTSA downtown, the downtown campus here, while I was going to school, uh, I was walking through the cafeteria and I heard one of the three worship songs that I knew at the time. And I kind of leaned over and got excited about it. And uh, me and uh, the lady behind the counter started talking about it. Her name was Cheryl. I called her Miss Cheryl. And uh, she was a, an African-American lady about my parents' age. And we started chatting up all the time. And uh, we started talking about God. And we would, I would come in and talk to her across the counter. And we'd have these great conversations. Well, eventually, Miss Cheryl started taking a break while, when I would come in. And we would go sit at a table and we would talk about all the ways God was moving in our lives, uh, how we moved in our family, what we were looking to do in the future, and just all that. And uh, I got to learn some of her story. And it turned out that Miss Cheryl uh, had kids and grandchildren, and they lived in her house. And she helped support both her kids and grandkids. So what she did was, in the mornings, she would wake up early and go to UTSA downtown campus and uh, work in their cafeteria. And then get a couple hours off, and then at night head to the Incarnate Word cafeteria and work and close that place down. So she was working crazy every day. So uh, a while into our, our friendship, uh, I got there, and, and I'm kind of off, and I'm frustrated because uh, I'd gotten a ticket, uh, me being a very intelligent person. I hadn't gone to update my inspection sticker, so I got, a, I got nailed for a ticket. And so I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay for my ticket, you know, uh, pay for gas and insurance and my phone or whatever else uh, as someone, uh, a college student, paying his own way through school. So it was tough, and I was kind of frustrated and trying to figure it out and just kind of talking through it with her. And Miss Cheryl was kind of looking at me and listening, and she just said, okay, well, 
I can help you with that. I'll go ahead and pay for your ticket. And you know, me being the proud, stubborn, I can do everything by myself person, and understanding what responsibility she had to her family, I said, no, of course, I, I can't take your money. And we, then we went round and round, arguing about, take my money, no, I'm not going to take your money, take my money, no, I'm not going to take your money. And we had this conversation round and round, and finally we squashed it, and she wasn't going to give me the money. So we continue with our conversation, and uh, later on, she kind of excused herself, hey, I've got to go take care of something, I'll be right back. So when she came back, she walked up and dropped $120 on the table. And before I could even say anything to her, she looked at me, and she started and said, God's blessed me with this. And now I want to bless you with it. Don't deny God's blessing in your life. So what do you say to that? I mean, you have to accept it. And that's what I did. I accepted the money. I mean, I understand and I understood then I was an undeserving idiot who didn't go and get his license registration taken care of. And she was the one that picked up the tab for it. She paid my debt to the city of San Antonio. It wasn't fair, but she did it because there was a, a genuine love there in our friendship. Really, she did it because God told her to. In the same way that he asked his son to sacrifice for each one of us. You see, that day, Miss Cheryl showed me that we're better together when we sacrificially give to one another. You see, we're, we're in a world of just absolute undeserving people like Noah was talking about. And Jesus gave his life up for our debts. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't an obligation. Nobody twisted his arm. He did it out of love, out of appreciation. He did it because he loves each and every one of you. Now, for some of you in here, you might be someone who's given and sacrificed for family and friends and randoms that, that just happen to be in and out of your life forever, since you can remember. And for whatever reason, either they've never offered or you've never accepted because you're too proud, you've never accepted somebody else's sacrificial gift. So I want you to know today that right now you can't accept a sacrificial gift. You can't accept somebody else's sacrifice. The sacrifice that Christ made for us. His life. Now, other people in the room walked in not believing in him. Or if you believed in God, you just believed that he had nothing but bad things for you. And the only thing you've ever gotten was not good from him. Well, that's not true. 
You see, God wanted to show you how much he loved you so much that he died for you to prove it. So let's bow our heads for prayer right now. So if you're one of the people that I've been talking about, right now, you have the chance to accept Jesus' sacrifice. And you can be a part of his tribe. Now, if you want to do that, I want you to pray something like this with me. Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for the sacrifice you made for me. And right here and right now, the best way I know how, I accept it. I accept that you died on the cross for my sins, even though I don't deserve it. Thank you for doing this for me, Lord. Amen. And for the rest of us with our heads still bowed, I want you guys to pray something like this. Lord, thank you for being in my life. Make my particular set of skills flourish and start helping people in my tribe and in my community. Help me be a better sacrificial giver to my friends and family. Help me accept the blessings you give me through others. I love you. And it's in your holy, precious name that we all pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.